Hello and welcome to Sunshine Chasers. My name is Amanda and I started this podcast for you. This podcast is for outdoor adventure travelers no matter where you are on your journey. Whether you're sitting on a commute right now dreaming of getting away or plugged in on a plane heading on your next great adventure, I think you'll be able to find something to connect with in each one of my guests. Through the conversations that you'll hear in this space, I want to not only inspire you with talks of faraway places and dreamy campsites, but empower you to make your dream adventure a reality. And wait until you hear what we have in store for you today. If you love the national parks, you're in luck. If you also happen to be a runner, well, then we've got a match made in heaven today. Today, you'll hear from Bill, the mastermind behind the Running the Parks project. We get to hear about some of his favorite national parks, how he made this dream a reality, and more. So head out for a run, hike, or walk, and let's get to it. Hello, everybody. Today, I am here with Bill. Hi, Bill. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Of course. Um, The way that you got introduced to me on Twitter was just perfect, and I found out about your story, and I knew that I would have to have you on this podcast because you've got such an amazing one. No, thank you so much. So let us start with some introductions. Um, Give us a little bit of background about yourself, your background with nature, travel, fitness, all that good stuff. Kind of give us the sweet summary. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's see. I'm 45, not married, a Leo, 5'9", 147. Oh, is that the kind of stuff you wanted? (laughs) Perfect summary. (laughs) Yeah, no. um, So my my background with sort of nature and travel and fitness. So I I will start with nature. I, when I grew up, I, my, my family weren't like real outdoors people. They weren't campers and we didn't take a lot of, of vacations where the woods were involved. So getting to nature came sort of later in life. I just sort of realized uh, uh, what, the, what power it had in, in um, restoring your sort of body and spirit. And so I got a little bit more into it. I still wouldn't say I'm an experienced uh, camper or a backcountry person. But um, I've learned a lot on my trip. Uh, travel, I try to travel as much as I can. Uh, I wouldn't say it's extensive, but my, you'll hear about my project, which involved a whole lot of travel. So uh, I have been to many places in the world, um, including Africa, a couple trips to Asia, and, and uh, obviously Europe, and then, then a lot of the, the states. So you know, I'm, I'm fairly well-traveled, and I enjoy it a lot. Uh, and then fitness to hit on the third one there. Uh, I wasn't um, a high school or college athlete. Uh, I played tennis recreationally. But when I got when I turned 33, I decided I wanted to get in better shape. And I thought, oh, you know, let me try this running thing again, which I always hated and thought I was going to completely despise. And I figured that, well, let me run, chug off the bucket list, run a marathon. And I figured... If Oprah can run a marathon, I sure can, surely can run a marathon. <laughs> and uh, I had a friend help me with the training program, and I followed it, and I ran my first marathon at 33 um, in Detroit. Uh, and then once I finished, I kind of got hooked because I realized, oh, I could do better than that. You know, and I liked what it did for my body and my health and my energy. And since then, I've run a, a ton of marathons. I don't even keep track anymore. Um, and then half marathons. I've done a whole bunch of 50-kilometer races and then two 50-mile races so far. 
All right. So holy moly, that is a <laughs> complete 180 with running. Um, so before we get on to your big project, I just want to touch really quickly on this whole running thing <laughs> before we get into it. I feel like it is very, very common for people to absolutely abhor running mm -hmm. for most of their life and then hit this one point where they're like, hey, this actually isn't so bad. And actually, I kind of really like it. Um, I remember personally, I tried out for my high school volleyball team, and I'm now admitting it to the universe. On my second day of tryouts, we had to run the mile. I totally quit tryouts. I was like, <laughs> nope, can't run the mile. Wow. I hate running too much. Like, I, yep. can't, I can't do this. Um, but then I also got into running. So I'm really curious, what do you think made the difference? What was it a different mindset that you were in? Just like a different part of your life? What what was it? Um, that's it. You brought up an interesting thing I hadn't thought about in a while, or really, I think I guess I haven't thought about ever. Uh, the reason that I got into running was sort of was goal oriented. It was get in better health and run a marathon. And so you can't run a marathon without running. So I figured if I'm going to do that, I'm, I'm going to have to work my way up to getting to be in shape enough to run a marathon. And that involved training. Um, and so that's, you have to do it to sort of check that off. I've, I honestly, when I started, thought I'd never run another marathon. I've, I just thought all this training, you know, the training was good. Um, I, I, I learned a lot as I was doing the, the first, the first, you know, 18 week training plan and getting myself ready. Uh, but when I sort of finished the marathon, I realized, oh man, I can do better than that. I, this was a great way to learn, but let's see what I could really do. And, and I, and I enjoyed it. So to, to your question about why people pick it up later and don't like it when they're younger, um, I have a little bit of a theory on that where, um, when you're younger and even when I started running again, um, I think people are under the impression that you have to go as fast as you can all the time. You just have to go, especially when you're running shorter distances like the mile and on track, you just feel like, yeah, I got to go and go and go. And, you know, you go out for your, your three mile run to keep yourself in shape. Somebody who's just a normal sort of everyday, um, person and they just run hard and then they feel like crap. And they go, I hate this running thing, but I do it because I want to stay in shape and it shouldn't ever be a chore. Um, so what I think what happens is when people get a little bit older, um, especially into their 30s and 40s, you just, you know, this is a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to make it an absolute, but you tend to slow down. Like you just don't run as fast as you did in high school. So you slow down and by the act of slowing down and running at a, at a more conversational pace, at a, at a space where you are sort of in, you know, in a nice constant groove, not too hard, but hard enough that you're, you're getting your, your heart rate up, um, you realize that it's, it's, an, it's enjoyable. And, um, but it takes that uh, slowing down to recognize that. Um, so I had a, a real quick anecdote about a friend I helped. I helped coach him a little bit in when I was living in New York City. And uh, he's, you know, mid-40s, and he, he had always run in the summer, ran a race, like a marathon or half marathon, and then took the winter off. He said, well, I want to do this time is run through the winter so I'm ready to run 
um, more races in the spring and early summer. And I said, great. So here's, he said, I only have a certain amount of time. I said, great. So I put a training plan together for him because I'm also a certified coach. And so, you know, based on what you, you're telling me, here's, what do you think of this? He said, great. And um, uh, I said, all right, well, let's talk about how you run too. And he said, well, I have this route that I go, it's three or four miles and I go out and it's got this hill and I run and I up the hill and at the top of the hill, I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm just, and you know, and I said, and I looked at him and I went, slow down. Like I literally, I literally, this guy's in the forties, right? I literally looked at him. I said, slow down. You need to run most of your, your runs at a conversational pace at a heart rate, you know, and I gave him a heart rate range, um, based on his age and, and fitness level. And that's where you should do 80% at least of your running. And I basically gave him permission to slow down. Like he had never had sort of what he thought was a, um, a sports authority f- figure, be, tell him to slow down. He just felt you had to go balls to the wall every time you go out. And once he, he accepted that and said, oh, someone has given me permission to slow down, he went on and lost 35 pounds, got off his cholesterol meds. Um, he changed his diet a little bit too, but he ran way more over the winter than he even did during the summer. Like he just because he enjoyed it. He said, I, you know, I would go out and I'd run that three or four mile trek and, and I'd finish and I'd, well, I'd run another mile or two and I'd just feel good about it. And I'm like, well, that's what way the running should be. You know, that's the way it should be. Very cool. I feel like that's also a pretty good metaphor for life or lesson for life is give your, give yourself permission to slow down, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Apropos to this podcast. Yes, Absolutely. Um, so I, I don't think we can avoid it anymore. What is your big project, Bill? Tell us about it. Oh, it's a big mystery. I can't. <laughs> no, no, no. So I am doing a, a, a personal life experience project to run a marathon, 26.2 miles, in all 59 U.S. national parks. And in the past 54 weeks, I finished 48 marathons in the national parks in the lower 48 states and the Virgin Islands National Park. Oh my gosh, just hearing that is like blowing my mind. That's A, so much running, B, so much traveling, and C, so many awesome national parks. Oh my gosh, huge project. So awesome. So why? Why? Let's start with why. (laughs) What was your inspiration for this? Yeah, I was, uh, the, the inspiration is it was time to, to make a change. Um, I can give you the, the medium length version. Um, back in the end of 2015, so a couple years ago, I was planning my escape from New York City. I was in a, a job that wasn't fulfilling to me. I was living in a location where, um, you know, the, it, you can either be fed by New York or it can feed on you. And, and it went, it transitioned to the latter for me. And uh, I was I was trying to figure out um, where I wanted to go, and I, I finally decided on living in Denver, Colorado. So I, when my lease was up in the end of May 2016, the entire goal was to just pack up and move to Denver and be closer to the mountains and the outdoors and around people who spend a lot of time in the outdoors and obviously running, trail running. Uh, but I wanted to take some time off. So between leaving New York and settling in Denver, I thought I'll take three, six months off, you know, but I I didn't have anything planned. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll do the cross country driving tour. And that kind of wasn't, it was cool, but not compelling. 
Uh, and then, uh, fortunately enough, I read that it was the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. And I thought, oh, cool, you know, maybe I'll see some of these beautiful places on the way out uh, to Colorado. And, and that was cool, too, but it wasn't, it didn't grab me, right? It wasn't big enough. And so I thought, well, I like to run. It wouldn't it be cool to run on the trails in these unspoiled wild places? And then, well, you know, if I'm going to do it, why not, why not go big? Why not run a marathon and then go and say, well, why don't I do all of them? And that was kind of the thinking. Like over a number of like two or three days, I just kept getting it bigger and bigger until it was compelling to me and it would seem like it would be a challenge. And uh, I just figured, wow, I wonder if I can do this. And I know it's possible to run a marathon a week or even, even more than that, but um, it, was, it was then, you know, whether I could do it and how I could make it happen. Yeah. So first of all, a marathon is not short <laughs> <laughs> and it's not easy. Had you, at this point in 2016, had you run a couple of marathons? Had you done your first? Yeah, I did the first marathon in, in 20, 2006. Okay. Okay. So I had been running, running for 12, roughly 12 years up to when I started this project and, you know, the, the, the longer the, I've run Boston marathon and New York city and uh, a bunch of others. And then of course the 50 K's and the 50 mile races. So I had a, a fair bit of running experience under my belt, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you that I didn't run a marathon a week for 48 weeks or so. Right. Right. So you had like one or two miles under your shoes at yeah, that point. Yeah. A couple, <laughs> a couple. Okay. All right. So what were your rules? What, what do you count as? So I, I have to assume that there is not a sanctioned race marathon distance in the national parks once a week <laughs> at different national parks. So how did you, how did you go about that? Yeah, very astute. Uh, there are a few national parks that do have organized races. There, there are not very many and they didn't happen to fall at the times in which I was there. So, um, and the, the reason they don't have commercial events is because the parks are not for commercial gain. Mm -hmm. they, they, they allow it to happen on occasion, but they make it very difficult for, through the permitting and the, the fees. So that's why it's, it's infrequent that you'll see any kind of uh, organized, sanctioned kind of event on a national park. So what I would do is I would get out a, the National Geographic topographical trail map, and I would figure out a 26.2-mile route in the national park. So my rule for the running is that the entire 26.2 miles has to be within the boundaries of the national park. So if the park borders a national forest or if it borders some other designate, any distance in that space didn't count. So I would uh, take the proposed route and I would go into the visitor center and I'd talk with the rangers and I would get their feedback on, is this a good route? Is it safe? Uh, what kind of elevation is there? What kind of terrain can I expect? Are there any animal concerns? And do I see the highlights of the park? And often the rangers would adjust my my route to see something that I would have missed or just to, to be in a place where, you know, the trail conditions are such that you can, you can pass because there were some instances where that was, that was a problem. So, uh, that was, that's kind of how I, I went from showing up at the park to running a full 26 miles, uh, within the, uh, within the natural space there. 
Awesome. And I would just want to give a pause and give a shout out to National Parks Rangers because they are some of the most helpful people on this planet. Um, when you go in and chat with them with a map in front of them, highly recommend it for anybody going to a national park. Don't just drive in. And I mean, you could just drive in and check things out, but I always love to get a ranger's opinion first. Very, very good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, part, part of what I'm trying to encourage people to do, particularly around the national parks, is, is stretch yourself a little bit. So if you're someone that's just driving in, you normally drive to the overlook, you take a picture and you leave, get out of your car and walk onto a trail a little bit. You don't have to go very far, just go a little bit. And then if you're the kind that you know, maybe does uh, a 30-minute day hike, maybe do an hour. And then if you're uh, uh, somebody who does a number of day hikes, maybe, you know, maybe incorporate a little, little run in there and then on and on and on. Just sort of stretch yourself because the more time you can spend in these places, the more you recognize what the nature can do to do for you and why they need to, why these places need to be protected. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, the fact that you are coming from, uh, New York city to tackle this whole project just makes it all that more, um, I don't want to say shocking, but contrasting. Um, yeah. How was that? Uh, it, I was ready to leave, so that was that was perfectly fine. It wasn't like I I left New York and then was was craving um, the the lights of Times Square. It was you know it. I had been there. I'd lived there two years for grad school, and then I had come back for this last visit for five years. And uh, and worked in consulting uh, during that time, and it was just that was it. You know, I enjoyed it. I liked the city, but after a while, it was it just wasn't for me. And I finally came to the decision that I needed to take action to to sort of improve my life, my mental health, my physical health, uh, my emotional health. And doing it in New York wasn't wasn't the 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 way. So um, that's okay. It was just time. And what a great way to do it. Um, so bring us back to the moment you leave New York city, you have a list of 59, is it 59 national parks in front of you? Yep. Where the heck do you start? Where did you start? Well, by just by dumb luck. So I obviously I was in New York city. I left New York and drove my, what belongings I decided to keep to my brother's house in Eastern Pennsylvania. And he's got a, a big home that he's not using um, uh, some, some rooms in. So I was able to store what I wanted in an unused bedroom. And uh, since I was already on the East Coast, and this was now June of 2016, it kind of made sense to me, just logically, because I get this logical you know, process-wise brain, to do the northern parks in the summer and then the southern parks in the winter. Makes just kind sense. of makes sense, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, my the very first park was Acadia National Park in Maine. So, if you if you look at the map, it's it's kind of way up there in in Maine. And then I came back, stopped at at my brother's house again for a brief bit. Uh, went to Shenandoah National Park, which is just south of of DC. And then I started uh, west um, across the 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 middle, and then up to the northern part of the country. I cut down in California, I cut back into Utah, back to California, and then along the southern part of the U.S. all the way to Florida. Oh, my gosh. So you were moving in between these national parks in your car? Yeah, it's all 
with the exception of the Virgin Islands National Park, I was able to drive to all of the parks in the lower 48 states. There, there were a couple of parks uh, that you required to take a boat to get to. So you drive, drive to the, the dock and then you take a, a ferry to the islands. So Isle Royal in Michigan, Channel Islands in California, Dry Tortugas National Park in Florida off of Key West. So you can get, you can drive to them, but then to actually get to the park, you have to take a, a concessioner's ferry. Gotcha. And did most of your um, overnight stays on this trip, were you in hotels? Were you staying with friends? Were you sleeping in your car? What did that setup look like? Wow, you must be doing cash money from this podcast if you think I'm staying in staying in hotels. Wow. Jeez, Zubis, I need to be a if podcaster. Only, if <laughs> <Yeah>. only. <laughs> no. Uh, so I, I, I wanted, obviously, I've been doing this on my savings. I have a crowdfunding page if anybody wants to to help me fund Hawaii and Alaska, which are are two expensive um, parts of this project. But I, I and did, difficult to drive to. Yes, those are <laughs> difficult to drive to. Yeah, you could drive to a ferry, but then the ferry takes forever. Um, that, uh, but um, yeah. So I have crowdfunding page, but I've been doing this on my savings. I had saved up uh, a bit with with the expectation of taking that three to six months off. So. I've just sort of stretched my funds to make it to make it work that I was able to finish all the parks in the lower 48 and the Virgin Islands. Um, and then I'm going to Hawaii shortly, which we can talk about. But uh, so no, normally what I was doing was I was staying in private campgrounds, National Park Service campgrounds and hostels where I could find them. Uh, when I would uh, one of the things that I'm I'm I'm. Uh, sort of promoting as participation. So I want people to join me on these runs. And so I reach out to local running groups in the areas around the parks and through Facebook generally. And people have been willing to put me up for free in their homes, which has been a great way to meet people, just an example of how generous people can be. And that was a that was a way to offset expenses. And then only on a rare occasion did I stay in a hotel or some other kind of uh, lodge or structure. Um, so, and, and usually when I did that, I was, it was $50 a night or less. So not staying at the Ritz Carlton. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm sure that social aspect of everything made it a lot more manageable, um, kind of both financially and also, you know, uh, support wise, I imagine this project is a huge undertaking. And if you didn't have that support along the way, it would be a little bit trickier to just kind of put the nose to the grindstone and get it done. Um, so tell me a little bit more about running with the local running groups. How, how many of your marathons do you think that you've had people along with? Is it most of them? Some? No. Um, so I can give you the exact number if I can click here fast enough during a live podcast <laughs> to make it not seem too obvious that I'm searching on the internet. Okay, uh, I had people with me at 19 of the 48 parks, and of the 19, I had uh, 12 parks where people ran the entire distance. So. Okay. So that that equates to 25% of the time I had someone with me who ran the entire marathon. 
that is very different from a, a race on the road where there's crowd support and there is, you know, fueling stops and all of that. So, so different. It's all self-supported. And, uh, um, yeah, but it was nice that the, the, what I find though is, is with the national parks and you guys can go and look at a map that they are often in remote locations. And so I would post on, on running groups and people will go, yeah, that's great, but I, it would be tough for me to drive five hours to get to the park on a Tuesday to run with you. And, and sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't, but the, you know, the parks are not always near metro areas with high populations. So they're just sometimes literally no one lived around the park, um, uh, which was okay. I, I didn't mind it, um, but it is always more enjoyable with people than, than uh, uh, it's, it's something you share the nature with other people. So that's great. Yeah. And so this is kind of an off the wall question for those runs that you did have people along with you for some or all of the time, what did you talk about? Or was it mostly like, in silence, kind of enjoying the nature. What was that like? No, it's always so, um, it's, well, I guess it would be a combination of both, but I would say it was, it's mostly, uh, we talk, we talk about, um, the nature, we talk about the park, we talk about running, we talk about life, you know, it's, you know, fueling, you know, runners always like to talk about different things that keeps them, keeps them going. And, and, uh, no, we talk, that's how you, you spend six hours exerting yourself in nature with somebody and you get to know them pretty well, you know? (laughs) Um, and no, we talk, talk about all sorts of stuff and you'd stop and admire the views and take pictures and, and, uh, just sort of marvel at what you're looking at. And, and it's, it's great to, a couple of times I ran with people who are associated with the park. So a gentleman that works in um, administration at Grand Teton ran with me. I ran with a ranger at Carlsbad Caverns. And so they were able to to tell me more about the park, which was great. You know, it's like having your own little tour guide. Yeah. Well, apparently I should have just flown to Hawaii and I could have accompanied you on. (laughs) Hawaii is coming up. So I have, I just booked my flights for Hawaii and American Samoa. And I also updated my website with the, the, the schedules. So I'm there in uh, October. Excellent. Oh my gosh, that is coming up. How exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, now that we're talking about preparing for your next um, batch of national parks, what does the preparation and the training look like? I, you are running these so often, or you have been running them so often, that I imagine it's not the typical training cycle <laughs> that one would come across for running a marathon. But what does all of that look like? Yeah, no, I can. So when I first prepared to run the, 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 the first one in Acadia, I followed a standard uh, marathon training program that I had followed before. So I was in shape, but I wasn't marathon ready at that point. So I wanted to get myself in that shape. And then from that point on, running the marathons helps keep you in shape. Yes. <laughs> so there's not a, a, not a whole lot of training that went on in between the marathons for a number of reasons. I was traveling a lot. I was trying to do day hikes and take pictures and enjoy the parks. And, and uh, uh, so I would run a little bit, but about... Halfway through the project or so, I started getting plantar fasciitis, which is uh, inflammation of the you know the 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 feet your feet, and 
the more I ran, the more it hurt. So I ran, I slept with a night boot and I did exercises and things to keep it in check. And I, I was able to manage, manage it so that it never impacted any of my runs. Like my feet hurt. But that is incredible. Holy moly. <laughs> I was able, I wasn't impacted by the injury, you know, the chronic injury so that I had to skip a run or postpone a run. Um, you know, I just managed it. I could use KT tape and, and, uh, Tried to be mindful, always wearing, you know, shoes or some sort of supportive sandal. And uh, I was able to, to work through it. It never impacted my ability to go on to the next, the next run. I mean, my feet hurt, but it wasn't the end of the world. And that's the only injury, knock on every wooden surface in my reach <laughs> that you've had to deal with on the road? Uh, I've had, so for you to look at injuries in, in luckily... I haven't had any injuries that impacted my ability to run the next marathon. However, I've had, I guess you would call it three injuries, uh, not including the two falls, but three, three injuries. I pulled a groin muscle, weirdly enough, like how many runners pull groin muscles? But I ran, I pulled a groin muscle at Lassen Volcanic National Park, and then it healed within a week. So the week later, I was able to run the next marathon. Um, I... I hurt my back at Grand Teton. So when I got to Yellowstone, my back was really bugging me. And I actually thought that it was going to impact my, my run there. But it, it healed itself up. Um, even though I was camping and staying in my rooftop tent, it was uh, way comfortable enough that uh, the back healed up. And, and that, I never had the problem again. So I must have just done a, twisted it somehow or did something there. And then I pulled a uh, calf muscle three miles into the rim to rim run at Grand Canyon. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going down uh Bright Angel and then I was gonna connect with North Kaibab and and do that up to the North Rim. And so that happened three miles in and I just well, well I'm not gonna turn around and it wasn't again, it wasn't debilitating. It just hurt. And so and I figured out I've 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 found a gate that allowed me to to keep up a reasonable pace and not uh, hurt my calf too much, uh, and I kept running. And then that that took that one took a long time to heal because it actually hurt me for the next two marathons. So, but again, not bad enough that it was uh, uh, it required me to 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 reschedule. And both of those two marathons were a lot of fun. So, wow. All right. Cool. And then another aspect I know you. You mentioned it before. What does your nutrition look like when you're on the road? Because I know for most of us, we hit the road and we're, you know, driving from place to place on maybe a road trip and nutrition just goes totally to crap. (laughs) (laughs) So how have you been keeping that up and then also fueling your super long runs? How how do you work that out? Uh, So I am a vegan athlete. I eat exclusively plant-based, and I try to eat whole food plant-based as much as possible. So not a lot of processed foods or, or, uh, or other things like that. And I think is simplicity is key. So the, the simpler you make your diet, and including as long as it has enough variety, uh, the, the healthier you'll be, and it'll, it'll maintain you to do um, a marathon a week or more. So uh, on the road, so I'm living in my car, as you heard, staying in hostels, staying in a lot of campgrounds and people's homes. So especially camping, my cooking was limited. My, and what I would eat in the morning was, was overnight oats, so oatmeal, 
a lot of times with added chia seeds, and then a little bit of agave syrup just to sweeten it up. So that's pretty simple and very healthy and, and gives you sustained energy all day. And I can eat that every day. Happy. Sometimes I'll add fruit, banana. Um, sometimes, believe it or not, I'll mix in a little peanut butter. Um, awesome. All sorts of things you can, you can do with oatmeal. Uh, I eat oatmeal every yeah. single day for breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Super good. I get it. Super good. You're my people. Super good. Uh, and then, um, so I'd have a cooler in the back of my car where I would, I would put some ice in and then I'd buy uh, as much fresh fruits and vegetables that were the reasonable to, to eat and, and not go bad. And that. So normally my lunch was what I like to call a salad sandwich. So I'd buy really good bread. So, and again, bread is not evil as long as you buy good quality. And it's Ezekiel bread or Dave's Killer bread. There's another brand called Eureka, which I'm not sure is national, but I've seen it out west here. And it's all sort of whole grain, organic um, bread. It's a little more expensive than Wonder White bread. But if you're trying to fuel yourself to be the best, and the best can be whatever, running, speaking, uh, accounting, it doesn't matter. You should be putting the best fuel you can in your body. And so I buy this bread. I buy uh, spinach, tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, onions, and I would cut them on a cutting board in the back of my car. And uh, I would make a sandwich with a little mustard and uh, have a salad sandwich for lunch, usually with uh, some fruit, bananas, apples, oranges, pears, um, you know, usually hard fruit that doesn't require refrigeration. Uh, and then dinner, uh, you'll love this, was minute rice. So people go, they go, ooh, really, minute rice? But yeah, you know, you have to do the best you can with the situation you're faced with. So obviously I eat brown rice uh, when, I'm, when I'm home, but that was what I had. I could only boil water because I'm not, you know, cooking with a big stove or over a campfire. And uh, that's because that's what I chose to do. And like other people can be more, more involved than they want if they want to, but that worked for me. So I'd make minute rice with, with hot water. And then I'd pour in a, a can of low or no sodium beans, pinto, black, cannellini, you, you name it, um, kidney beans. And I would add sometimes curry powder and mustard. So like this little mustard curry, uh, flavor, which is which is really really good, just as a condiment. Um, or I'd add um, a little salsa, um, sometimes ch- cut up tomatoes, and then I would have that for dinner. And usually, uh, you know, maybe some bread with it, or usually a, a more fruit. And on the trip, so when you talk about you know snacking in the car, it was uh, either um, nuts, sort of like a, I'd like a make a trail mix at the at the bulk aisles at grocery stores, you know, the almonds and walnuts and, and, um, seeds and things, or it was, or, and, or, and, or, or both. It was a lot of bananas. Like I, sometimes I was eating six to eight bananas a day. Holy moly. That's a lot of banana. <laughs> it's not, that's the kicker, right? It's not, you can, if you're hungry and you eat a banana and you're still hungry, eat another banana. In fact, eat, eat bananas until you're full because there's nothing bad about bananas. It's all, it's all uh, slowly digestible sugar. You got the fibers. You got, uh, it's just vitamins and minerals and it's tasty. So um, eat bananas, eat more, ban- and then eat another banana. They're so good. So good. Um, and then, so while you're actually running, what does your fuel look like? Yeah, so I... When I'm running, I'm carrying a uh, hydration pack because uh, a lot of times, um, in fact, most of the time, 
I'm out on my own, and there may or may not be opportunities to filter water, and I need to be safe. So my pack has usually four liters of water and a bunch of safety gear, and then my nutrition. I keep it simple for these runs. It probably would be better if I incorporated some some real food, like almond butter and jelly sandwich, peanut butter and jelly, or something. But it was just, it's a little messier with the way the pack is designed. And I would have to actually go and stop and get into the back of the pack and dig out the food. And, and you know, so what I just do is I take the runner's gels and I use, I use hammer gels because I, they really sit nicely with my stomach and they're all natural and they taste good. So I'm sort of kind of a traditionalist you know, you see like marathon runners on races using the gels and I just find it, it works well and they're, they're convenient and easy. And that was what I was going for. They also don't weigh a ton. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot, Hey, I'm going to be honest. I used to work at a running store and I am not going to sit here and say that I think they're the most delicious fuel in the whole wide world, <laughs> but they definitely get the job done. <laughs> yeah. And there are definitely brands that have different consistencies that sit better. There are brands that have different flavors that sit better. Uh, I just like uh, the hammer, both the consistency and the flavors. There are a couple of the flavors that are not the best, but there are most of them are pretty good. And um, you know, when when you're out four or five hours into a six or seven hour run, you got to be mindful of what you're putting in because it can make your stomach. Not so happy. Oh, yeah, tummy troubles out there at that point would not, I imagine, be the most desirable thing. No. <laughs> so you've talked a lot about, you know, the training or keeping up the fitness and the fueling and all of that. What about, let's shift to the mental side of things. Have you had any mental challenges doing this whole thing or have you learned something really like just... Uh, profound from this experience? Yeah, the mental challenges. Yes, people uh-huh. have told me that I'm mental by <laughs> for doing something for doing something like this. Uh, yeah, the the hardest the hardest thing for me in this whole trip was just the extended stretches of loneliness of being being alone in in the car for hours and hours and hours, and then at. Uh, at campgrounds more than obviously at hostels or other place, even at the, the few times I was in hotels, right? You're by yourself. So um, that was the toughest part. And I kind of knew that going in, but that kind of got, got a little bothersome uh, during the trip. And, you know, I managed it, but that was, that's where social media can help uh, contain, you know, keep you connected to, to people when you're, uh, when you're out so that's when when uh, that was helpful. Uh, so that was the hardest thing. And, and what I've learned is something that I was searching for or, or recognized was important but had never put the effort into to doing it, which is finding your tribe. I don't know, I think it's Seth Godin that talks about this, but finding that group of people that share your interests, that are, are you know, similar in, in mindset, and that enjoy what you enjoy, and, and that's okay. It's it's great to be challenged and and uh, educated by people with different um, interests and beliefs and and all of that. But 
you know, you, you want to be with people who like the same thing you do and can enjoy it together. And so finding my tribe, my, my running outdoors, um, you know, kind of, uh, health conscious, particularly plant-based, but don't have to be, but health conscious crowd is, is very important. And so that's why, um, and I kind of, like I said, I kind of knew this when I was leaving New York is that that's why I was choosing Colorado as the place to live. You know, very health conscious, very outdoors focused, very athletic state, you know, more, more around the Denver Boulder area, but not exclusively by any means. So that's, uh, that's why I'm, I'm choosing to settle here. So you've driven around and now you're going to stay in Denver slash Boulder. What, so I know you still have a couple of parks still left on your list. Do you know what's coming next or are you just kind of taking it day by day and you're going to see what happens? Um, no, my background and my personality are more on the planning and, and structure side of things. So um, what I, so here, here's a good contrast to that though what i have learned on this trip is that i have to let some of that go sometimes and just let uh enjoy being unstructured and and uh life so i took me uh, before i answer that question but it is an interesting thing that happened to me is um uh, i thought that you know i figured to do all 48 parks in this area uh, in the lower 48 and, and virgin islands would take about a year so that came in about right. Um, what I didn't expect was that it was going to take me a lot longer to fully relax and break away from that sort of corporate mindset, go, 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 goal-structured way of thinking. I thought, you know, a month into it, I'll be driving, it'll be like the fourth park, everything will be cool, I'll just be hanging, you know, and having a good time, driving around the country, like total, you know, no. It took seven to eight months wow. for me to wow. to not treat this as a job. You know, I had to be structured. I had to be to the next one. I had to be scheduled. I had to, to, to post to Instagram. I had to just, just go, 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 go. And, uh, I enjoyed the trip, but I would say that, that, um, that pressure, um, probably detracted from it a little bit. And when I'm encouraging people to think about making a change or anybody who's, who's wanting to do something like this, recognize that, you know, you have to give it some time, especially if your background is sort of traditional corporate America or something that's high pressure, high stress. It may take more than a week vacation or two weeks vacation or even six months to really kind of relax into yourself and and start recognizing what's important um, and just enjoying life for what it is. So, yeah, that took took like seven, eight months for me to do that. Wow. And, uh, uh, that's, that was an interesting thing to learn. Um, and so to, for your question, which is what's next, uh, I'm, I'm in Colorado. I'm doing some, I'm house sitting for some friends until I go to, um, Hawaii and American Samoa in October. And then, but in the meantime, I'm looking for a full-time job here in the area. Uh, I'm looking to do, uh, work preferably work for a smaller gear company that does uh, outdoor gear, clothing, accessories, shoes, um, new, vegan nutrition, and uh, preferably on the product management side. So helping take these products, working with with users and athletes and and R and D and all this to make things stronger, faster, better, more interesting, tastier, 
Um, uh, and as well as is looking into doing some public speaking around the whole idea of possibility, you know, making a change in your life starts with believing that you can make a change, you know, and that's a lot of that's around uh, language and how you speak to yourself and other people and what, what words you actually use to describe situations. Uh, getting past that um, is the first step. And then uh, after that, you just plan out what you want to do. So uh, those are the kind of where, where I'm looking. Super cool. You've got some super exciting stuff coming up. I can, I can already tell. Um, but that kind of leads, your last point leads me into the next question that I was going to say. Once you finish this big project, what are you going to take away with you when you're like back on the more typical work style grind? What are some things that you're going to really hold near and dear to your heart from this experience? Yeah, I hope that I don't, despite, you know, working for a company or, or doing something that's more structured, I hope that I, it doesn't become a grind. <laughs> that's Yes, maybe a poor choice of words as you were just talking about the, the wording of everything. Yeah, yeah. If if it's a grind, then unless you're working for a coffee company, then uh, <laughs> then uh, you should think about making a change. And making a change doesn't have to be drastic. It could just be, I'm going to find a, a, a job where the people that I'm around every day are happy and excited to be there. And granted, I understand there are always challenges or sometimes personality challenges, sometimes logistical challenges, technology all of that sometimes, but if everybody's excited about what they're doing and they're focused and and they they don't have their job as defining them, then uh, that's quite all right. But uh, getting caught up in that is is tough. So, you know, what I've kind of taken away from it is that there's there has to be a a blend in your life between um, what's required to maintain a, a a standard of living, you know, to, to support yourself, to support your family, and then to blend that with a sense of adventure and um, experience that helps you grow personally and I think adds to the professional side of whatever you're doing. So without, without that proper blend, you can be too one-sided, you know, on in either side too, right? You can be a total, you know, I don't want to stereotype, but like dirtbag climber, runner, mountain biker, you know, ski lift operator and all that stuff. And uh, all of that's great. But at some point you have to recognize that, you know, there is some responsibility for maintaining yourself. And, and if you have a family or, or that, that there's, there's that, there's that blend. So um, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Always a blend with very many things in life, this included. So before we wrap up the conversation, I have to ask you the tough questions Tell me about, I don't want to say favorite, but maybe your favorite or coolest experience with your marathons in the park. Which ones really, really stick with you? Ah, yeah. Um, so uh, I favorite park. Like I don't always, I, I wasn't for a long time telling people that I had a favorite park because I didn't want the other parks to feel bad. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and everybody, it's favorite is subjective, right? So I'm not a big beach guy. So as much as Virgin Islands National Park was spectacular, I, I'm not a beach guy. Like I had a fun time snorkeling and, and running there and it was, the terrain was amazing, but eh, 
is is cool. It sounds terrible. Yeah, it sounds terrible. It stinks. <laughs> like I'm going to totally hate Hawaii. Uh, uh, but I think my favorite was Kings Canyon National Park in California. Cool. It just it's like Yosemite, but more. Uh, I I say it's more intimate. Uh, the Kings Canyon or the Kings River was just raging because they had a, a huge amount of snow over the winter, and so the snow melt has got all these rivers and creeks and tributaries just cranking. And it's an impressive sight to see that. And I hear that that river runs pretty fast anyway. Um, and it's just, it was just beautiful. The, the, the combination of, of the hard granite and talus slopes and snow on the trail, even in June and uh, a lot of water crossings. And I saw a bear, uh, I, and, and that's, I like mountains, I think. So that was, that one stuck with me. Uh, I also liked Death Valley. Um, I liked, uh, Mount Rainier a lot. I met some really good friends there, had somebody run with me the, the entire way there. And, uh, North Cascades National Park, one of the least visited parks in the system is, is monumental. That's a great place. Great one to see. So, uh, you know, mine tend to be sort of mountain focused, um, because that's what I like. Uh, the, 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 the toughest one, um, I guess I have two, I have one that was tough because I got injured and that was the Lassen Volcanic National Park that I mentioned earlier with the groin pull. I pulled it at mile nine. And so, and I was, and I was, so I was nine miles away from the car. So I had to come at least nine miles back just to get back to where I started. So that was 18 miles. And because I took a, I, I made a, a game time decision and I had the map with me. And so I adjusted my route. And by the time I got back to the car, I was at 20 miles. So it ended up being a little bit longer than, than just a straight out and back. And that hurt that of all the injuries, that groin pull really, really hurt. And I got back to the car and I said, screw it. I'm here. I've finished 20 miles. I can gut out another six. So, oh my gosh, I do not endorse this for beginner runners out there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I was back to the car, so I knew I was safe. I was going to take a three mile out and back and, and that's, it's not too bad. You know, if you're in touch with your body long enough and you're experienced enough, then, you know, you can, you know what you're able to do. And I took it slow. I wasn't, again, it's not a race. So, yeah, I gutted that out. That one was the toughest and in terms of, of how I felt, I guess. And then uh, the the sort of other difficult one was Theodore Roosevelt National Park, and that's in North Dakota. That is an awesome, awesome place. That's also one of my top five. And there, uh, the hiking trails are difficult to follow for two reasons. One, they... Uh, they're kind of out in the open. And so the, the national park service puts up trail markers, but the Buffalo knocked the trail markers over. So, so it's hard to see where the trail markers are. And the other thing is because there's so much wildlife there, pronghorn and, and bison and deer and that they make game trails. So they, they don't follow your hiking trail. They make their own and they crisscross the hiking trail. So you'd come to an intersection and both directions look like a hiking trail, except one is a game trail. And that's, and so you don't know which way to go. So I kind of knew that from talking with the rangers and reading some accounts of other people running in, North, in, in uh, Theodore Roosevelt. 
So I had actually programmed my route into a Garmin handheld GPS unit. So not the watch, which I also had, but the, uh, the handheld GPS, which I carried with me, and I've used that to navigate my route. If I didn't have that and hadn't made that preparation ahead of time, I would have been lost. I would have probably turned around at a number of, of different spots because the trail was just not... Dis and even with the GPS, I got lost a couple times. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a challenge. But that park was awesome. And I ended up doing 30 miles in that park. That was great. Cool. All right. I, oh my gosh, I just like really want to go on a run right now. <laughs> <laughs> this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. Um, so before we go, um, where can we p follow along for the last part of your project? Yeah, I'd, please, if people want to join me, or that's that's the best. And, and if they want to... Um, to help me out, that's that's great too. Uh, or I have two two organizations that I'm. It's not official fundraising, but I'm suggesting that people donate to if they're if they feel um, uh, feel so inclined. So I have on my website, which is runningtheparks.com. There's a uh, support support page, and I have a crowdfunding page for me to help offset the costs of Alaska and Hawaii. And since my, my savings are running low, um, you know, any little bit really helps. Just start a podcast, Bill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're rolling in the dough. You can also find photos from 48 national parks, my blog, a bunch of videos, all the press coverage that I've got, which has been a lot of fun. And, uh, if you want to follow me on, um, Instagram, that's my main platform because I do a lot of photos. That's my handle is running the parks. If you go to Facebook and you search running the parks, I will come up. Um, or on Twitter, I also have an account. That one is a little different because um, running the parks was taken. So it's, yeah. it's yeah, and they wouldn't give it up. Uh, it's, so there it's run the parks. But, you know, you can find me if you search my name or, or a National Parks Marathon Project. All that will, will come up. Okay. And I will link to all of that in the show notes over on my site. Uh, but thank you so much, Bill, for chatting with us today. This was so, so cool hearing about this project. And I wish you the best of luck in your coming races or runs, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I understand you're coming to, to run in Hawaii, right? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll check out the flights right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Sounds good. Perfect. Well, have a wonderful rest of your evening, Bill. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, Amanda. I appreciate the invite. Of course. Bye. Bye. Whew. Honestly, I'm feeling a little bit tired just listening to that interview again. That's a lot of running. As you heard, Bill adds a couple more parks left, so be sure to check out his links on the show notes page for more information there. You can find that at sunshinechasers.com. Be sure to also reach out on Twitter or Instagram and let me know what you thought of the episode. Both handles are at Sunshine Chasing. If you feel so inclined, I would so appreciate a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, tell a friend who you think would love these conversations. That's all for today. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss the next interview. Bye.